0: So how do you uh, talk to God? Maybe you don't talk to God at all, actually. Maybe you do. How do you talk to God? Oftentimes, I was reflecting on this this week for myself. It's God is kind of like my employee, right? I'm a, a harsh business owner. Like, all right, God, you know, good morning. Thanks. Thanks again. Thanks for everything. Glad we're here. Uh, here's kind of what I've got going on today, if you can help with that. And here's what I need: uh, longer term, week, month, year. If you could work on that for me, um, man, what a what a brazen way that I often talk to to God. What, what about yourself? How do you talk to yourself? Anyone here struggle with that old like just beat yourself up situation? Anyone here? I'm the only one who hears the special voices in my head. Thank you. I'm glad there's a hand raised. That's straight up honesty right there, man. How do you talk to yourself? And it's worse when you're in a stressful situation. It's worse when there's anxiety or, you know, I was, this last week I was a little bit sick. I got that stomach bug that's been making rounds, so come up and let me lay hands on you later. Bless you. Um, kidding. I was just, man, it was amazing how, how quickly I just went into, I don't know, beating myself up. Blaming, you know, what did, I, what did I do wrong? And it's just like the voices are amplified in those moments of stress. How do we talk about others? And I don't mean the stuff you actually say to people, because we're all socialized well enough to not just go say crazy stuff to people right to their face normally. Now, if you're driving and they do something <laughs> dumb, and your window's closed and their window's closed, then we'll see about what the Holy Spirit says about that. But, uh, you know, I was reading an article this week talking about Significant indicators of relational unhealthiness. Do you ever have for your, for your friend, your partner, your spouse, or whoever, you know, contempt, criticism? Do you stonewall? Do you self-justify? Are you defensive? I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> I just got a little worried for a, a minute there, you know? And rightfully so, because I, it's not that those are things that I do all the time, but man, I am so far from being like... Aged, wise, grandpa, Dr. Phil, just like, let me just listen. You know, there's so much selfishness in my soul. I'm so quick to, to curse and to complain. So slow to praise and to bless. But we must learn to bless. We must learn to be a people who have been blessed and have learned to bless and to praise. And that's why we're in this series. Songs, gospel Rhythms rhythms of life through the scriptures that teach us about the bigness of God and the smallness of ourselves, not in a diminutive way because we're made in the image of God and we're precious to God in that sense, but in a way that rightly reorders and shapes us so that we can be set upon a rhythm of blessing and praise because in that is life, right? We all know when we're beating ourselves up and when we're complaining doesn't solve any problems. So this week, Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul. A psalm of personal praise, sung out to the corporate body. A psalm that reminds us that God is not only to be praised, but that he is worthy of praise. Not only worthy of praise, but of our praise because of what he has done for his glory and for his children. So let's hear from Psalm 103 now. We will read most of it. Psalm is broken down into a couple parts. You'll hear the epilogue and the, the prologue. Uh, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bookcasing, sort of this great retelling of the acts and the nature and the character and the promises of God. So hear this Psalm 103 of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who reverence him, fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions and sin from us. What a great verse, 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord, Yahweh, L-O-R, capital D, capitals, shows compassion to those who fear him. Why? For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place is no more. That's us. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And now David closes the song. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. Father, as we reflect on the good news, the gospel, this good news of your kingdom, that you have come to sinners broken and bruised and weary and wounded by the fall. Our choice and our ongoing choices to turn away from you and turn toward our own devices to try to be our own gods to decide on our own what is good and what is evil what is right and what is wrong. You come to us with promises and those promises are fulfilled in a person. The person and the work of Jesus and Jesus has come as the prophet and the priest and the King of all truth and goodness and beauty to bless us. And so we respond with praise. Bless you, Lord. May you be blessed and glorified forever in the heavens. May our soul, all that is within us, bless you and praise you. And may we do that even now as we remember you in this preaching, as we feast upon you at the table, as we continue in our singing and praying. May we bless you, Lord, with our souls. We pray in Christ's name. Couple points tonight to sort of uh, dig into our text. First, let us bless the Lord. Secondly, why? Because God is worthy of our praise, and lastly, all creation must bless Him. So let us bless the Lord. You know, there's been a lot of talk recently about mindfulness, mindful meditation. You know, do you want to? You kind of want to help your yourself in the midst of a busy and crazy schedule maybe you want to take a little bit of the edge off of anxiety, or or maybe you just struggle with always being in the future, or always in the past and never in the present, they say, mindfulness can really help. Mindfulness, focusing on the present, being here and now. And, And part of the point of that is exactly what our psalm is getting at. What you think about shapes you. What you think about, what you focus on, what you believe about, who you are in this present moment. It it shapes and molds who you are and who you are becoming. I saw a story this week and I love this, A.J. Iyer. A.J. Iyer its a famous uh, 20th century philosopher. He was in the school of logical positivism. Okay, he was a diehard, you don't need to know anything about that except for this guy was smart, a little too smart for his own good as most philosophers are. He was a pretty staunch atheist, but he basically said this, No. Proposition, No sentence, no statement can be true unless it is empirically verifiable. Okay, now, everyone's bored. I know I just lost you. Some kids just fell asleep. But basically, the point that I'm making here is his philosophy was so constrained that he had to cut out like 98% of the experiences we have and talk about because they weren't empirically verifiable according to his standards. Of course, ironically, that standard itself is not empirically verifiable, but neither here nor there. Now, A.J. Iyer died. And he was dead for four minutes. And this guy wrote voluminously within this school of atheistic philosophy. And in the course of that four minutes, he admitted to several hospital nurses and staff when he awoke that he had encountered a divine being. He also later confided in several friends that he encountered, according to him, a divine being. And according to him, he had such a deep sense and presence of this divine being that he knew, in his four minutes of death, that this was the being responsible for ordering, creating, and sustaining the universe. Now, this would be like the craziest atheist you've ever met saying this after having been dead and then revived after four minutes. And he famously asked the question rhetorically, for he knew the answer must I now change and revise all my books and opinions? <laughs> Well, yes, indeed, sir, you must. (laughs) And he knew that, you know, I think he might have been thankful that a few years after that, he actually did die for real. And so uh, his legacy isn't necessarily uh, this story, but the story is true. When we praise God, we encounter God. And when we counter God through praise, what happens? God changes us. To meet with God in praise and worship. To call upon your soul. To preach the gospel to yourself. Bless the Lord, my soul. To encounter God. It changes you. It's to encounter the divine being. It's to throw away all of your old opinions and books. To see something greater than yourself. It cannot be denied. It cannot be moved around. You don't move around it. Indeed, it shapes and moves you. So let us bless the Lord. And we're told right in the beginning who we are to bless. This is a command, but it's not just a a command. It comes with content and instruction and a promise. Bless, as we've said before, has the implication of praise. The Hebrew word for bless, if you go to Israel and you go on one of these camel rides, you get to hear the dude with his little stick whipping whipping at the knees of the camel saying, bless, 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 in Hebrew, because the idea of bless is the idea of serving. Or praising. Basically, do as I'm asking you to do. Bless me. Respond to me through the service of praise. That's what it means to bless the Lord. And the Lord is who's in mind here. In fact, throughout this song, we, we see this divine name, L-O-R-D, all capitals, Yahweh, I am that I am, the great covenant, divine name of God. The name of God and all of his promises, the object of our faith. And not just some abstract object of faith, but a person who acts on our behalf. And we are to bless, praise, and serve this God who is the creator of all things, the universe, and holds them together by the power of his word with our soul, all that is within us, the core of who we are. Now, how are we to do this? It's so amazing that David writes this psalm with exclamation points. But he doesn't, because that probably wasn't there in the original (laughs) Hebrew. But the exclamatory nature of the psalm is well known. And so these translators have done well to put in exclamation points. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. It's a command that he is crying out to achieve. He is preaching the gospel to himself. And this is what we must do, brothers and sisters, on our good days and bad days. The gospel is for those who are far from Jesus to call them to Jesus. And it is for those who are united to Christ and in Jesus to be reminded of who they are. And it's not contingent on our feelings or our situations. It's not situational. It's not circumstantial. It's normative. It's universal. It's always true for us. Why? Because God's love is always true for his children. It cannot fail. It cannot fail you. Now this blessing of the Lord, this praising, it might look different based on the estate that you're in. Look, we did Psalm 73 a couple weeks ago. Praise the Lord might be coming to God with complaints and frustrations and doubts and needs, but you're still preaching the gospel to yourself. You're still going to God. So preach the gospel to yourself and prepare yourself for praise. Preparation is important. We learned this last night at the guys' night. Do not be like me, all right? Do not be a dude. I remember, you know, Caitlin was like, so how are you going to cook this bacon? And McGinty showed up with like 80 pounds of bacon from Costco. He went crazy. How are you going to cook this bacon? Just throw it on the grill. Obviously, you know, throw it on the grill. How are you going to do that? Just throw a little foil down. Apparently, me and fire, yeah, at least I have my beard after this one, OK? But we had like a nine foot grease fire torch. In my backyard, like the Garden of Nero, not really, Mom. It wasn't nine feet. It was more like three feet, okay? Okay. Um, But it was intense. Like Chris Davis, he got a little nervous. He took charge. Okay, we got the fire extinguisher. We were good. No one doused it with water. But, you know, that's one of those things, Greg, bless my soul, uh, prepare. We have to prepare ourselves, whether it's cooking bacon for guys' night or whatever it is we're doing, but especially when it comes to praising God. You can't just come flippantly. We must preach the gospel, and we must prepare ourselves as for battle, right? Because the days are going to get long and difficult. We must be prepared. And where are we to praise God? Obviously in all of life, but what's interesting about this prayer is it's a personal praise that is also a public dialogue. By spurring himself on, David motivates others. Our praise motivates others. That is partly why we praise in song together. And we don't just, you know, everybody just go have your worship service in your own personal closet. Then we'll come together and just, you know, hang out and have a meal. Talk about it. No, we praise God together because sometimes there are folks with heavy hearts and heavy heads that can't seem to be lifted up. And our praising God together helps motivate the praise in others. It's the nature of the immune system. The church is a body. We are to be for each other white blood cells when that is Necessary. We are to help the body heal itself. Where should we do this? In church, obviously, but also wherever we are. Whether we eat or drink, we do all for the glory of God. Lasting glory. This is why I was so encouraged by the, the ladies' ministry and the guys' night and this great little kid's business fair that happened yesterday, and yes, I still owe Kayla Murray $2 for her awesome 3D printed stuff that she made. It was super cool. I mean, where are we to do this praise? Not, not just in the church building, but everywhere. Everywhere we go. Together. For each other. Why? So the bulk of this psalm, right, from verse 6 basically all the way down to verse 19 are reasons why we should praise God. I just want to hit on a few highlights here. First, it's worthy of asking what makes a thing worthy of praise. What makes us praise the things that we do praise in our lives? They're lovely. They're full of hope and beauty. They give us joy. They're full of great expectation. They're the sort of things that we cannot help but speak about these things when we have seen them and heard them. A new girlfriend, a new spouse, or boyfriend, or a house, or a new car, or anything. A flower in the field. Psalm 103 is like that. It's almost like a romantic poet just gushing and effusing praise. It almost feels overboard. It almost feels overboard, but don't mistake. It's not romanticism and it's not overboard. It only feels that way for us because too often our God is too small. There are infinite reasons to praise God. Here we have 22 verses worth, but we could easily go on for 22,000 years. It's not too much. Seeing God as he is, David comes before the Lord in worship. He comes before the Lord in his memories of all that God has done. Father of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and down to Moses and remembering how God has been faithful to his people and praise overflows. For three main reasons. First, because of who he is. See in verse 2 through 5, he forgives, heals, redeems, crowns, satisfies. If you read through these things, I mean, aren't these... Everything that man longs for, we sang about shalom, right? Shalom means peace, but not just peace like, okay, we don't want a war to be fought anymore, we want peace, but holistic renewal of all things peace. All things will be made new. Someday Jesus will wipe every tear from the eyes of his children. He will remake the heavens and the earth. And once again, we will be back in that place of glory and worship as our first parents were in the garden. That's the shalom that we are longing for. And we see here that God is to be worshipped because of who he is. These are all the things that man longs for. Forgiveness, healing, redemption, crown, victory, glory, satisfaction. God doesn't just do these things. He he is these things by his very nature. John Piper, who's a pastor up in Minnesota, had a great illustration one time, I thought. He was talking about heaven and he said, would you really want heaven? I mean however you conceive of heaven, right? When I was in like eighth grade, heaven was golden skate parks, full-long cheese hot dogs, and riding on the back of a line. That was like it's maybe not eighth grade, let's go with fourth grade. Alright. Sounds a little mature. That was like as good as it could get. But however you conceive of heaven, all the stuff that will be there, the things that will be there, your renewed body, right? No more pain and brokenness and all this kind of stuff for you. Would you be okay with all of that? all of those great things if Jesus wasn't there? And Piper's point is this, that no, God doesn't just do these things, He is these things. He is the epitome and the foundation and the ground of forgiveness, healing, redemption, satisfaction. These things we long for, this perfect shalom, this heaven. Heaven is nothing if Jesus isn't there. And this this causes us to to rise up and praise, thinking on God, this doctrine of God, this who he is, not just what he does, but who he is. It's like Paul in Romans, theology, the study of God, begets doxology, the, the praise of God. When we study and think about and remember the nature and the person and the work of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for us as children, we can't help but praise him for who he is. But also because of what he does. Verse six through 14, I mean, wow, what a list of, What a list of things God does. What a father. Not only of justice, but also of mercy. Not only of righteousness and truth, but also of compassion and love. How great his steadfast love. Covenant love. The kind of love that makes promises and then doesn't break them. So many of us have had broken promises in our lives. We know all too well what it means to receive a broken promise or to break one ourselves. How great his covenant love As high as the heavens, that's how big it is. But what about our sin? As far as the east is from the west, it is flung. Because he is not only the God of the heavens and the earth, but he knows our frame. He knows your frame. He knows your weakness and need, the things that even now are causing within you to doubt yourself, to fear others, to be anxious. And let us compare this to the gods of the world. The secular gods. Power, fame, money, pleasure. We have all of our own idols in this day and age. man. Don't, don't even think for a second. I was watching this great video. Did anyone see this? Where some nerd like recreated ancient Rome and there's a 3D tour of it. Some of you nerds out there saw it. And it's like this 3D tour of going through Rome and there's all the temples and the things and you know, statues to great men and great women and great gods and great power. and you know. But it's really not about the Roman pantheon and the gods, it's really about glory and it's about power. The same gods that have always been the same gods of the secular world. But there's false gods in religion too. And none is more devious or disgusting or hellbound than this idea that we can somehow work our way to God or that we can become God by being good enough just do all the good, right things. If we just work hard enough, we can attain righteousness. Now back to Yahweh. Having tasted the bitter fruit of those false gods. No power, no fame, no money, no religiosity ever gets you there. It never satisfies. It never achieves its goal. But the living God, the I am that I am, It's not just I am that I am. He is I am for you because of Jesus. You don't have to work anymore. You don't have to be on the treadmill anymore of working to get yourself to God, to be good enough, to please Him. He'll just love you if you start to get more religious or spiritual. He's already setting his love upon you. You don't have to chase after these things that don't satisfy ultimately money and fame and power. In fact, you can have money and be famous and have some power. You can steward that properly for his glory in the world. You don't need to be afraid of those things. He is worthy of praise because of what he does and what he will do. Verse 15 through 19, we are dust and grass, yes, but we are valuable. We are dust and grass, but we are valuable. The blessed creator king comes to bless creatures who owe him all blessing. And yet he comes to bless them. The blessed creator king comes to bless creatures who owe him all blessing. The eternal comes to the finite, to dust and grass blown by the wind. The one who is from everlasting to everlasting comes to bring the power of the resurrection, blessing forever. You know, recently there was this great discovery about gravitational waves. If I even say one word about this, I will be so far out of my pay grade that I will embarrass myself. But lucky for you all, my dad is here tonight, and he is a genius and an astronomer, so you can ask him about it if you have a physics question. What I do know is this. For those of us who don't know anything about physics and like barely passed except for that help of Mitch Lauer, my sophomore year, uh, you know, there was this video where they took a hula hoop, then they put a blanket over the hula hoop, then they put you know a heavy bowling ball in the middle of the hula hoop, and guess what? It weighed down the blanket, right? So the Ending of space-time because the object has a lot of mass. Then they put a little, a little smaller, like baseball in there and they spun it around. And what happens? It goes into the orbit of the bigger object. Praise and faith in the weightiest object means this for us. Now, how am I gonna bring something fruitful out of this cheesy illustration? Alright, some of the nerds got excited. I want to oh, oh, Lord almost. Thank you, Christine. Test the spirits. Okay, we'll test the spirits on that one. Um, it's not just that praise and faith means we orbit around the weightiest object. Yay, so have more faith. No, actually, that's not what I'm going to say at all. What I'm going to say is because God's weight of glory is so great and so big, everything is being bent in toward him for his glory. And so we come to him in that way with assurance. We know that our orbit will remain even when other satellites seek to interfere and knock us out. We praise him because of what he will do. He is so weighty, so glorious, so great for his children that his children can know that they will be kept close to him even when interference comes. He says, my throne is in heaven. My kingdom rules over all. I was thinking this week about Monty Williams. I think a lot of you guys probably watched the eulogy that he gave. Um, His wife was killed in a car accident. You know, he's a sports guy, a sports player, basketball player, and he gave his wife's memorial. He said, in life and in death, in health and in suffering, in her presence and her absence, I will bless the Lord. Because I know, I know that this will work out. And it's not just some, you know, some guy who's, who's wounded and has to just cling, you know, like this imaginary spaghetti monster, like I just need to feel better. No, no. The opposite of that it wasn't any sort of irrational clingings. It was faith with reasons. Here we have 22 verses worth of reasons. Faith with reasons, clinging to what he knew was true, and so all creation must bless him. We end here with this famous verse by Abraham Kuyper, not a Bible verse, but something he shared in one of his lectures. It's been butchered many times, and so I looked it up to make sure I got it right. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Jesus owns it all. Jesus paid it all, and he must receive his glory. From angels to hosts, ministers to places in dominion, this is the last four, five verses of the psalm. In all levels and realms of the heavens, from the created order to humans to angels to ministers, in all of these places, even down to us, praise must go forth. All creation must bless the Lord. So church, we are to bless Him in word and in deed. We are to bless others in the Lord, our friends, family, church. We are to bless and lay on hands. Literally, I remember my friend Justin was telling me about but you know, before I had kids. He said, every night I go into my children's room and I put my hand on their head and I bless them. And I heard that, I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. But now I'm like, that's really cool. Because in the same way that your children hear it, they feel it, and it's, it's the same as giving them a big hug and saying, I love you. We must bless people like that in our words and in our deeds. We must learn all the love languages so that we can sacrificially serve and love those around us. We must not only learn love languages but we must learn all the languages of the world so that we can go and be sent to the world because the mission of God the church exists on mission in the world because there are still places in the world that do not know this Jesus they do not know how to bless the Lord if you're in the church we need to have night vision goggles we need to have night vision goggles so that we can see the needs of those people around us because what happens right guys you come to church And we may have needs, but we don't really like to talk about them. One or two people may know, but we like to keep stuff kind of secretive. We need to have night vision goggles so that we can truly see the needs that exist in our body. Bless others in the world and bless the world. Your vocation, your job. Vocation comes from vocare, giving voice, singing praise, as it were, giving voice in what you do to the glory of God, making what you do in the menial Magnificent, The small and the great. Something that gives voice to God is real. I am loved by Jesus. This creation matters. And I'm making things new and beautiful. Find what you love to do. Not just what feels good. But what you love and what you are made for. And then stay in it. Sacrifice in it and build. God has given you a distinct voice. A voice that is to be clear amidst the static of more money, more fame, more this, more that. Never enough. Come the siren songs that lead us astray, a voice that is clear amidst the static that speaks a better word. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, all of you. Bless the Lord with all of you. Receive his blessing, which is Christ Jesus for us, and then go in the name of Jesus and do likewise. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us this evening. We pray that you would remind us